privilege for me to be here before you to speak on India's wonderful aesthetic tradition. We'll just get this uh, started. He said, we'll join you. The Rasa Reader is published by uh, Columbia University in 2016. It is the first in a series of, in a well-funded enterprise that seeks to address several forms of uh, classical Sanskrit studies. India's aesthetics addresses art, uh, literature, and the performing arts. The ultimate aim of all art is to reach sublime bliss, ananda. Art experience is akin to the bliss of Brahman. And art goes to philosophy, and philosophy to art. And the performing arts of India take these concepts to all the people through stories, music, and uh, uh, dance. While it is not possible to address all aspects of our deep tradition in a book of about 200 to 300 pages, uh, in my paper I shall try to see what Pollock says and does not say. I think he is fortunate to address this issue at all with all the amenities of modern technology and uh, all the assistance that we get from modern methods. The language and style of writing. To the average Indian reader, Pollock's language is very tedious, using high-flown English. Sentences are frequently complex, with the main clause tucked away amidst five or six subordinate clauses as well as phrases. But we are not looking at proficiency in the English language here. The comments and annotations provided by the author on the development of the tradition are often of a disparaging and prejudiced nature. Where the issue may have two sides to it, Pollock goes out of his way to portray it in negative light. I'm not clear if it is the only side he comprehends or whether it is deliberate. I will take some uh, examples. Uh, where the issue requires explanation, he restricts his remarks to what is not there. I beg pardon for these tedious uh, quotations, but I require them for, to make my point. For one thing, there was no unified sphere with a particular designation we could translate by the English term art. There were separate cultural domains of poetry, kavya, drama, natya, music, and less carefully thematized practices with terminology also less settled, including painting, sculpture, often pusta, architecture, for which there was no common term at all, and the crafts, kala, which could include many of the preceding when that was deemed necessary. In these disparate domains, there was never any dispute, at least overtly, about what was and was not to be included, though sometimes works passed into and out of a given category, according historically changing reading or viewing practices. Furthermore, almost everything outside the literary realm, let alone the cultural realm, remained outside classical Indian aesthetic analysis, including nature. Though Shiva was a dancer, God in India was generally not an artist." Unquote. The uh, bold and underlining our mind to show you how many negatives he uses in a typical uh, paragraph. The above passage reveals not only a warped outlook, but also displays several factual errors. Now, there are 64 arts enumerated in the Shaiva Tantra texts of the early centuries. How convenient and cunning for Pollock to translate Kala as craft. We all know that in the Western tradition, uh, the great masters, uh, the, the artists, like uh, they had to undergo many years of apprenticeship and uh, training before their uh, skills could reach the level where their creativity could flourish. Would Pollock call Michelangelo a craftsman? 
And Pusta is a wrong translation. It is not sculpture. The Vedas celebrate Brahma as Kavi, as the creator, the ultimate artist and the original creator of the entire world. In fact, a poet is called Kavi because he can create art out of practically nothing. So we see that not only is uh, uh, Pollock overstepping his authority in stating what God in India generally was, but is also mistaken on the facts. Simpler English is also seen in his writing, but it is not to uh, portray the tradition in a flattering light. Uh, quote, as for questions of creativity and genius, Pratibha, Indian thinkers generally were interested in them, but they never thought it necessary to develop a robust theory to account for their nature or impact on the work." Unquote. Does the professor have a formula whereby he can impart Pratibha to a person? Does he have a definition that we may have missed as a nation? The allegation that Indian writers didn't know about Pratibha and didn't discuss Pratibha is as preposterous as it is unfortunate. We know that way back, Bhatruhari has addressed the issue in great detail. Bhatruhari talks of Pratibha not only as the creative spark or the creative genius, but also the decision-making ability in the mind. To have some information, to know a situation is data. But to take a decision on that data, on that set of information, that he says is Pratibha. So it is not only uh, uh, art and uh, poetic things, but Patruhari has been able to point that much out. And he says that the uh, logical description that the process may have is beyond our description. Now, all the poetic writers speak very highly of Pratibha as the most important ingredient in uh, uh, any original uh, activity. Vamana says that uh, the most important thing uh, for a poet's skill is Pratibhanam, is his uh, uh, mental uh, creative uh, faculty. Yes, Vamana does say that it was brought, for, brought along from another birth. But yes, Vamana did not know about <coughs> DNA and RNA. But the point is that you cannot impart it to the person. And Vamana says that uh, even the dull-witted can be taught the Shastras and the sciences with enough tutoring, but the creative spark is rare indeed. Sorry about that. Now, as, 20, as uh, thinkers of the 21st century, as uh, researchers and scholars, I think we are like armchair critics. And we need to exercise great imagination to put ourselves in the place of those in the field, such as a poet or a nutter or an actor or a playwright. Uh, we all know that uh, Sanskrit literature is classified as preksya, that is to be viewed, and shravya, that is to be heard. That is uh, what can be performed, what you can see, and what cannot be performed by enactment, and it's only heard. Maybe with music, maybe not with music, but uh, in any case, uh, recited and heard. But Pollock talks of rasa seen and rasa heard, which is a very nice, innovative caption, but it doesn't mean anything more than that. Nowhere in our treatises do we say that because of Preksya Kavya, you can see the rasa, and because it is Shravya Kavya, you can hear the rasa. That is not true. The rasa reader gives new translations of many terms. Uh, he translates Vibhava as factor. But uh, the factor doesn't give any information at all. Any, any, uh, anything that has a bearing on the equation at hand is a factor. It doesn't give you any information. Uh, for example, Adya Rangacharya call, uh, translates it as determinant because the Vibhava determines which way your emotional response moves. So there is some sense in that. In fact, uh, Pollock says that he uh, gives original uh, translations, but they are all wrong. 
another example he talks of viprolamba um, shringara which is usually translated as love and separation he calls it the erotic thwarted i think it creates on the ear and distorts the picture unfulfilled love that is thwarted would definitely be unfulfilled but unfulfilled love is not necessarily thwarted and that it distorts the picture and uh, in the least it fails to evoke the uh, uh, aesthetic portrayal of the yearning of love there is nothing thwarted about the vasaka sajja or the abhisarika he does not explain the theory of rasa at all he does not connect all the parts to form a comprehensive whole he writes quote from such an analytical perspective the play looks like a jumble of disconnected components unquote i think referring to the play as a jumble of its components is like referring to blue cheese as a jumble of casein mold fungus and maggots and he talks of uh, india not uh, classical uh, studies not having a proper aesthetic theory because we are constantly talking of rasa in the performer he says uh, the uh, natya shastra speaks so much about the bhava and rasa constantly tells you what the actor or the dancer should be doing and uh, so it is not a true aesthetic theory but that is totally absurd because the first time bharatamuni brings up this discussion he says prekshakai the whole performance the whole thing is directed towards the aesthetic appreciation of the spectator of the audience when we tell our students at the very undergraduate level if you're putting up a play if you want if you're doing a dance what do you want you want them to say it was nice i enjoyed it as a modern parallel when the late uh, michael jackson performs do we not see that he's imbued with the rasa and do we not feel the ecstasy too so it's very difficult to say that it is in one and not the other and these discussions just go on and on and apollok is only looking at the words and gauging the uh, merit of the discussion on the words i don't think he has any connect with uh, the reality of the subject there coming to poetry uh, he says quote and rasa as first theorized for literature and performance was emotion the spectator could see unquote this is a fundamentally wrong notion and has no basis it is pollock's innovation he also contradicts himself here by saying that in uh, prekshya kavya rasa is seen and in shravya kavya rasa is heard whereas he has no value for literature the poetry or the stories he says that is what the reader reads in private he explicitly says that he discounts the the audible aspect or the sound value of the uh, poetry and to him it is only the meaning it is only the what meaning the reader gets and to him it is what is in translation now this may be pollock's view and that may be what he can grasp but our tradition has always laid great emphasis on the sound value adding to the aesthetic experience shabdarthau sahitau kavyam the simple words have a world of meaning and i think this is part of pollock's strategy to undermine the value of the chanting of the mantras in veda to him the vedas are what you translate the merits of those translations are of course a huge question but he thinks he can he can access the vedas by looking at it on a piece of paper and what translation it is now there is i found a very uh, i got very excited with this uh, wrong translation that i found he says <laughs> if scripture commands us like a master and history counsels us like a friend literature seduces us like a beloved 
This is an incorrect translation if it refers to Mamata's famous verse 2 of the Kavya Prakasha where he says that uh, literature doesn't force you, it doesn't command you like a master, it doesn't insist like a boss at work that you this is how you have to behave but it counsels you very gently and lovingly like a beloved. Kanta Samhitata Yopadeshaye. Seduces is not warranted here. It is shocking that a, uh, a scholar of Pollock's credentials should err on a simple translation in order to present a perverted picture. Uh, Pollock seeks to show that uh, the, the concept of rasa is uh, enmeshed with a lot of uh, old uh, concepts such as transmigration, the memory of past lives, the karma theory, uh, and the samskara and so many things, propriety, morals and the, the purusharthas, everything he just mixes them up. The fact is when you read the treatise you can see very clearly that they are separate issues but he has not been able to sift them and I wouldn't want to go into details on that. Uh, but he makes much of the memory of uh, past, that's, I mean that those issues can one by one be analyzed and studied and proven academically that he's just not got the point. But he makes much of the memory of past lives and the second quotation there, uh, he says, uh, there is no doubt a good answer to the obvious question, why the endless cycle of transmigration would not eventually endow all people with all predispositions, but our thinkers do not provide it. Now, in the, in the, the point I am referring to earlier about all these uh, very Indian concepts, he calls them uncontested notions. And to the quotation here, I think we can reply that the thinkers did not provide the answer which was common knowledge that the endless cycle would only endow those predispositions which the person's actions merited and no other. His language is unnecessarily, I am sorry, I missed one there. No, there is. This one, I'm sorry. His language is unnecessarily gloomy. He talks in one place of the demise of uh, uh, dramaturgical theory after the 13th century. This is wrong. He is not aware of so many treatises. The first one there is authored by uh, Sir here. And, uh, he is not aware of uh, so many treatises that go into the subject of uh, dance and drama and uh, dramaturgy was in no danger of demise. His, uh, 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 the, here's a brief list of his, uh, his subheadings which are very deliberately to influence the reader and prejudice the reader as if to show that there is so much of inconsistency and contradiction and lack of and lack of uh, cogency in this. He says it's a figure of speech, he says it cannot be a figure of speech, then etc, etc, I will cut that short. The point is in the developing tradition, we had so many issues happening and so much of richness of thought, it is not as if they were contradicting themselves, it is not the work of one writer. And the situations are also different. We begin with rasa in the Nati Shastra where eight rasas are the vibrant ones which you can portray on stage. Then Abhinava Gupta spoke of Shanta, he said that is the only rasa and then he said it's the most important rasa. And in literature we use all of them again. Again, and Shanta is very much possible in literature. And later in the Bhakti movement, when people enjoyed the ecstasy of devotion and were immersed in devotion, there was a need to explain a tenth rasa, that is Bhakti. And there were writers, writers in aesthetics who wrote about this. It doesn't uh, warrant Pollock making sarcastic remarks on this issue and to ask why the language of aesthetics is used to, uh, to, uh, in the context of devotion, etc., um, etc. On one hand, Pollock says that no theory was adequate 
and if there is a contradiction he says oh they, they don't know what they are saying but if a writer endorses a prior writer's views he says he had nothing new to add. We in India believe that although the world has changed so much in the last uh, so many centuries with the use of science and technology, our emotional responses haven't changed all that much and therefore many of our uh, concepts are still quite universal. It's quite natural that some scholar wanted to apply the Rasa theory to Western literature, say the Shakespeare, the plays of Shakespeare, to see how that might work. And I think just as Pollock found scope in research to say from Rasa seen to Rasa heard, some other scholar has picked up this. But Pollock clearly disapproves and uh, the, that is the quotation which I will not read for uh, time. Does a scientific view necessarily help us to lead better lives in the world? Is the use of technology indicative of a more scientific attitude? And is the Western philosopher or researcher necessarily a scientist? If you ask a person to choose between a picture of the world made up only of atoms and molecules and another picture made up only of the waves, which one should he choose? I'd like to read my conclusion of half a page. Uh, um, even in the sphere of literature, great writers such as R.K. Narayan, Charles Dickens and Thomas Hardy were careful not to pronounce judgment, value, pronounce value judgment on a situation. They portray reality in fictional context and however much it affects the reader emotionally, they refrain from directly holding any person or event as responsible. They leave it to the reader to make an ethical or moral judgment and do not directly guide the reader as to what to think or feel, although there is no doubt as to where the writer takes his stand such as good writing with a command over the subject and the medium of expression. Henry James was at once criticized as writing many pages without having anything to say, but even he was able to point out that there may be many viewpoints and more than what meets the eye with a great deal of happiness, cheer and humor. His genre was literature to engage readers and one could enjoy his facility in the language for the sheer pleasure of reading. But Pollock's style vitiates the mood of his reader and the subject he is dealing with in order to present what he deems his perspicuity. He writes copiously, bringing in a whole lot of viewpoint, very little of which is related to Sanskrit studies. If there is anything profound in what he writes, it should stand scrutiny in a pressy. But where the intentions may not be honorable, it seriously changes the color of things. Even more than in literature, in academic study, unbiased presenting of information is expected of a teacher. If this book is a harbinger of things to come, as a first in a series that will address philosophy, religion, linguistics, etc., it does not bode well at all. Why should we have a peculiar lens pointed only at our tradition, giving confusing verdicts? India's hospitality should extend to sharing our knowledge systems with those who are interested, but not to the extent of accepting anything said by anybody as the outcome of partial understanding or hidden agenda. We try to exercise our faith in the world being one family, Vasudhaiva Kutumbaka, but it has to be reciprocated to work. If Dr. Pollock and others of his view have supercilious and disparaging remarks to offer, may they do so in the full awareness of their ill intentions and spiteful attitude. Let them not be clothed in the garb of academic endeavor and intellectual honesty. Thank you. To help me, you can do two things. You can go to the subscribe button on my YouTube and subscribe. We need more subscribers there. Uh, secondly, I get lots of emails on people saying, how do we donate? How can we help you? Uh, you go to rajivmalhotra.com or you go to infinityfoundation.com and you can hit the donate button. You can donate in dollars. There are different ways mentioned. 
if you want to donate in rupees, there is a column called uh, Infinity Foundation India and you click that and there are instructions on how you can donate in India.